If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 23. John 14, verse 23. As you're turning there, I just want to take a a brief moment and just express our appreciation from our family for uh, just 13 years of ministry here among this body uh, as we consider the opportunity that's before us to transition and and serve the ministry of light bearers. Uh, Grateful for just the words of encouragement, uh, prayers of support, and just words of, of affirmation and love that you guys have extended to us in these recent days have we, have we, as we've made that announcement uh, to, you, to you all. And I'm just grateful uh, for the chance that has been ours to serve this body um, over these years and, and look forward to seeing all that God's going to do in and through you uh, in the days ahead. So, Well, if you found your place there in John uh, chapter 14, verse 23, let me read that verse for us. Uh, just the first part there. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Let me read it again. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It sounds simple, but this verse really serves as the main idea of our devotion tonight. It's an if-then statement. Or to put it in another way, the reality of our salvation is that we can love God, and we will keep his word only because we've been made children of God. Or as our sermon concluded with today, one of the surest tests of a Christian's salvation is how they respond to that word. So let's dive deeper into this verse tonight by looking at three things. First, who is to keep that word or the recipient? How can they keep that word, the reason? And what happens when we do keep the word, the result? So again, the recipient, the reason, and the result. First, the recipient. You know, there's an emphasis on this exhortation in verse 23 from Jesus, as it's really been mentioned three different times or three, three different ways. If you look back up there in the immediate context, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We're on down there in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then our verse tonight, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. So who is he addressing? Well, obviously, the immediate context there is the 12 disciples. But obviously, we know that this applies to all of us as followers of Christ because God's word is sufficient for all of life and doctrine. So we know who is to keep this word, but how are we enabled to do so? And we see that in our next point. Second, the reason. The reason. Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, How are we able to keep his commandments? Well, it's out of the overflow of our love for him. But I think we've got to take a step back and ask ourselves, how is it that we love God? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 states, we love because he first loved us. And this love is manifested in his laying down for his his life for us, rather, on the cross. Or 1 John 4, 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. We who were unlovable have now had God's love set on us. And in turn, we're able to have a relationship with God. This love is wrapped up in the sacrifice of his son, but also in the Godhead, the Trinity. As we see there in verse 21, just a few verses prior to our text tonight. Jesus says, he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
And again, the back half of our verse, verse 23, for those who keep his word, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Not only will we receive the love of the father and the son, but the son manifests himself to us through giving us the Holy Spirit. This verse is really in the context of Jesus giving a discourse as he's getting ready to leave the earth physically once he dies on the cross and is raised again three days later and ascends back to the Father. So his manifestation that he's speaking of there is not in a physical sense or through visions, but rather in the spiritual sense, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit's witness in the hearts of those original 12, but also to those of us who are disciples even today. We see that our verse is really an answer to a question that Judas, not Iscariot, asks in verse 22. He asks, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the, world, to the world? In other words, what is going to mark us off from the world? Answer, the indwelling presence of the Spirit. We see this clearly in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the Spirit of Christ is the manifestation of God's presence dwelling within us. We have the very presence of God indwelling or tabernacling within us. Ponder that for a moment. Keep in mind the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, being with God's people was nothing new for those during Old Testament days. Consider Noah, as alluded to in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20 where he highlights that the Spirit was with him to preach to the people even while he was building the ark. The Spirit was with the people of God even during the wilderness wanderings. David himself prays in Psalm 51:11, Take not your spirit from me. But now, God's Spirit is not just with us, but in us. This was promised all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Or as John alludes to in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It's not just merely the Holy Spirit, this helper or advocate who makes his presence in us and helping us to love God, but also that he has a purpose and displays his power through us. His purpose is that he is the spirit of truth. And what is that truth but God's commandments, God's word? His purpose is to reveal that truth to us as we seek to apply it and seek to walk obediently to it. His power manifested to us, enabling us to walk according to that word. So disciples of Christ, the who, are regenerated by the Spirit to love God. And what does that produce? That's our final point, the result. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Or as 1 John 3.24 goes further to say, whoever abides in God, that person in turn keeps his commandments. The result of our keeping his commandments is that we abide in God. We love God. The outflow of our love for God is that we keep his commandments. It's cyclical in nature, if you will. Loving God produces obedience, and that obedience pictures our love for Christ. Let me say that again. Loving God 
produces obedience. And that obedience pictures our love for Christ. We recognize left to ourselves, we are the opposite of that Psalm 1 man, having walked in the counsel of the wicked, or standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Adam was put forth as the king who would be charged with keeping God's rule and carrying out God's rule and authority by being that representative to show the world what God was like and by obeying his commandments, that command to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And yet Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 did not keep God's word. In fact, the serpent came to him, came to them, causing them to doubt God's word and ultimately to doubt God and disobey his commands. This disobedience brought about death. Yet God was loving and merciful, promising that from Eve's seed, one would come who would be king and be faithful to keep God's word. As Paul alludes to Genesis 3 when he writes in Romans 5, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. None of us on our own love God, much less want to keep his commands. Death continued to reign from Adam all the way down to you and me. However, Paul goes on to write in verse 15 of Romans 5, saying, If many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Christ, abounded for many. So just as Adam's trespass brought death through all, so through Christ's obedience, his perfect righteousness can be applied to any and all who call upon the name of the Lord They can find salvation through him. Christ is that perfect king who fully obeyed and completely observed all of God's commands. We see this even as we alluded to this morning in Luke chapter 4 in Jesus' temptation. Satan tempts Jesus to doubt God's word. Again, echoes of Eden. He tempts him to bow down and worship him rather than God. He tempts him to delight in an earthly kingdom and not the eternal kingdom that he was called to rule and to reign. Each of these times, Christ was faithful to resist that temptation. And through what means? God's word. Christ kept God's commands where Adam didn't. Christ represented the Father and showed the world the manifestation of God because he himself is God in the flesh. He perfectly obeyed God's commands, even as that led him to a cross where he would lay down his life, be buried, and rise again triumphantly so that we who were enemies of God could love God and faithfully keep his commandments, not by our own strength, but by his spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. You know, if you're here tonight, you're seeking to earn God's favor. You wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Let me implore implore you to stop seeking to work out or work your, work your way towards God, but trust in the work and the one who walked obediently, trust in that finished work of Christ, even as That obedience for Christ led him all the way to the cross. Trust in that finished work and place your faith in him. You know, as Christians, we're called to work out that salvation than by keeping his commandments, as our verse alludes to tonight. We don't work for that salvation. Rather, we work from that salvation, seeking to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not a duty. It's a delight. As 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. There is certainly effort on our part, but the goal is one that produces joyful endurance and eternal fruit. 
You know, think about an Olympic athlete who disciplines themselves for months, if not years, to live on in Olympic lore. Or hiking a magnificent mountain and having the story to tell. You know, there's great joy to be had, even amidst such discipline and rigor. As one commentator notes in that similar vein, vein of thought, many Christians would be willing to do spectacular things if by that means they could come to know Christ better. But are they unwilling to do the commonplace things that are involved in simple obedience? Will you do them? If you will, you will most certainly grow in God's grace. So going back to our illustration about the Olympic athlete, you know, it becomes part and parcel of their life to train day after day, week after week, month after month. But how much more should we, in turn, discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? So by way of application, is that word a burden to you or is it a delight? Listen again as we meditated this morning on Psalm 19 of the richness of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And again in Psalm 119, we are blessed if we walk in the way of the Lord. We shall not be put to shame, having been fixed upon his commandments. We will praise God, having learned of his righteous rules. We keep our way pure by guarding it according to his word. We receive life in his ways, rather than looking at worthless things. We truly delight in how sweet that word is. It's sweeter than drippings of the honeycomb. May we pray daily that we would keep that word, as the psalmist goes on in Psalm 119 to say, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Or again in verse 88, in your steadfast love, Lord, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Second, do we help each other in keeping these commandments? Do we watch one another's lives closely, seeking to admonish one another and to recognize evidences where we do keep that word? Do we do the hard work to take time to encourage one another to live out that word? And do the hard work then to confront one another when we don't see each other living out that word. Third, are we committed to knowing that word? Does it mark us off? Does it guide our steps and guard our ways in seeking to not give in to temptation? Do we read it? Do we memorize it? Do we meditate upon it? Doing this not only individually, but also in fellowship with one another. As youth tonight... Maybe God's calling you to discipline yourself early for the purpose of godliness in the means of spiritual disciplines. As a college student, do you allow the word to be a plumb line in your life and the decisions that you make, be it what to major in or what job to take? As parents, are we making sure that our children see us prioritizing that word in our daily rhythms, in our instruction, in our discipline? And as a church, may we tether ourselves to that word, letting it spill out in our worship letting it guide our discipleship meetings, letting it be central to our gatherings, letting it be the message that we proclaim not only to, the, to our neighbors, but also among the nations. For it is the only word of salvation, a word of witness, a word and a witness rather of love, love of God and love of neighbor. Let's pray.
Father, your people called out in the Old Testament who has heard the voice of the, of the Lord and lived. And God, we thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us perfectly, certainly, surely, truthfully. And God, without any mixture of error. And God, we thank you for that word, how you have revealed yourself to us, not only in that written word, but also in that living word, the word made flesh through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that written word does give us the words of life, that we know how we can be saved, and that faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So God, I pray that we would be marked by that word, seeking to know it, not just intellectually, but to be known by it, such that when people see our lives and see our witness, God, they know us by your word, that we are those who love you because we keep your word. So God, I pray that we would know that word ever increasingly and then have that word on our lips, ever ready to share it with those in our lives, both here and to the end of the earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing All I Have is Christ. <laughs>